So Darren, the, <laughs> the customary thing that happens every summer happened to me a couple of days ago. Um, since I've moved to Australia, I have been determined every summer at the beginning of summer that I'm going to... I know it's going to be. Bare feet. Oh, really? Yeah, going to go with the bare feet. And teach your feet to be tough. Teach my feet to be tough. Yeah, I fail every year. It's just <laughs> it's just a nightmare. Oh, does it, um, I can't even walk from the house to the car. I'm like, oh, there's a beach down the end of 13 Beach Road and it's right down the end and there's about a three minute walk in trainers in to the beach from there and it's usually quiet because of that because the rest of them are usually straight in off a set of stairs onto the beach so I like going down to that one with the kids and I took them down there the other day and we had the wetsuits on and we brought down the surfboards and you know what it's like with kids like they can carry they'll carry their own gear and stuff there but then once they have a play and stuff they come out and they're like nah and they just take off they were standing at the car and like 15 minutes later I've got like two surfboards and my surfboard with some wet towels and I'm like <laughs> and you know you get that thing where you get the stone up in your foot so you try and scrape your you try and walk and scrape the foot stone off your foot the same ah it's a shocker every every I feel I just feel like an idiot because every year I think this is the year this is the year and it's just it's just never going to happen I just have to live with the fact that it's never going to happen that makes me feel more Irish than this podcast yeah yeah (laughs) So if you can hear if you can mm-hmm. hear um, somebody else uh, laughing here, it's because we're in the studio with a special guest tonight, Jerry McKeague, um from Belfast and Geelong. Um, who hello, hello. Guest number one on the podcast back in probably January of last year, I think it was we recorded it. And uh, the reason we asked Jerry to come in was because this is our somewhat deferred um, one hundred thousand download episode we've figured that we wanted to take a breath and have a bit of chat about where we've come to and kind of what the experience of doing this podcast has has been for us so far Mm. and also to say thank you to all of you who are listening and all of you patrons who've supported us um all this time uh what better way to thank you than to give you an hour and a half of listening to me and darren I mean, I was, I was actually just going to jump in and say, look, if this is your very first episode, this might not be the one to jump in on. And for anyone that is a, a repeat listener and they're like, nah, this will be grand. This is off the cuff. And I'm I'm feeling I may go off off on a bit of a, a tangent on something. So please forgive me. This is top of the head stuff. Okay. And give give Dom too. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> He's um, all confidently going, yeah, so, yeah. So that's, so that's where we're at. And um Jerry, thanks for thanks for coming in and uh, pleasure, for, pleasure. Um, coming to have a chat with us. So delighted to be here. Yeah. So, what do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> oh. So uh, this yeah. is a, it's a real fanboy moment for me here. Um, having listened to every <laughs> single episode. You're a saint. Before. You're a saint. You are. But I remember you rocking up to this shed like a year, more than two years ago, almost. It must be two years. And I, re- I really hadn't. I'd met you, you didn't even remember meeting me. I had met you for a split second years before that and you were just believing in the project. So thank you, man. If it wasn't for you and going, yeah, you know what? This this could be all right. No, it's been, it's been, it's been terrific. It's, it's really the highlight of my week. I've told Dominic that before. Oh, thanks. So. When the, when the episode comes out straight onto it with my circuit of Eastern Gardens, I've got it all <laughs> set up. For your running, for your running, for the running, for the walking fast circuit. Yeah. So yeah. listen, yeah, thank you. Thanks oh, for pleasure. Thanks You're for delighted to be so, asked. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so uh, 
What about uh, we're not going to start with the tune then, lads? No. Crap. I hadn't even thought about the, the structure of our own show. <laughs> okay, well, you might you might feel like I'll doing, do I'll do, I'll like do Sandy River Bell on the banjo. Perfect. That was amazing. What did we just hear? That's called Sandy River Bell. I like your uh, I like your intonation there. Very well done. That's called Sandy River Bell. Who um, when I was learning that when I, I, I was going through a phase when I was learning a tune, I'd just make a, a, a playlist on Spotify, and I found a Sharon Sharon Shannon version of it, and that was always the most fun to play with it to play along to. Although the version that Sharon Shannon has on on Spotify is like a it's almost got a bit of a ragged tip to it. So I just I love the kind of you got like old time banjo with um like Sharon Shannon playing and a bit of kind of like I, I call it like a ragged kind of vibe to it as well. Do you know what I'm yeah, yeah, yeah no yeah. no I did yeah like but she's done she's done quite a few things like that though. Okay, right? I d I yeah. I've I've no idea. With yeah wobble <laughs> Did you not know that? No. Yeah, yeah. So um, so that's a that's a five string banjo? Yeah, that's um, it's a five string. It's a daring good time. It's actually the reason I got that banjo is really nice. My dad, I've been toying with the idea of getting a banjo for ages, and then I saw one in a like a second hand shop. Not even at like a what would you call it? like a on Chapel Street they had these kind of like it's like a posh second hand shop. It's like a brick a brack, but it's got all overpriced stuff and it was a banjo in the in the window and i was like yeah i should definitely get a banjo and i had these thoughts of mixing like hip-hop beats and banjo still have never done anything like that but anyway i got on the phone and i was like oh yeah Dad, i think i'm gonna buy this banjo it's uh it's 200 bucks i think i should do it and he's like what is it and i was like oh, it's a remo and he's like what and I was like, it has remo on the head and now i know that means it's just the name of the the actual drum and he was like well look 
sleep on it and then he came back to me the next day and he had a whole load of options and he said look this the deering for the price for the entry level and i'm going to get it for you if you want it let me know and i'll, I'll make the arrangements so he made the arrangements and i picked it up and that's it i've been on like in love since so that was so that was the first time you actually played the banjo was yeah when so you... that was six years ago six years ago actually in september because i went back for some reason in september to find out mm. i wonder when i started playing banjo yeah and it was like let's say it was september 17th i did an email for like banjo dad and i found it and it was it was a year to that week by chance so i sent him an email again saying dad thank you that changed my life thank you oh, great. yeah that's great so the and the tune was just what one that you knew before anyway oh no the, listening the, to the it? tune came now the tune came later it was yeah. um uh, some workshop i can't remember who's the who's the tutor at it um ian alexander is a great uh, australian clawhammer mm-hmm. player plays with um the appalachian string band i can't remember the name but yeah he's a they're a good bloke it's a wonderful sound isn't it that claw hammer sound i I love it yeah it's just uh it's just very smooth and gentle as well i think but i think there's some players that do that on the on the tenor like maggie carty but me that's the first time that i actually kind of was listening to a tenor banjo player play and and hearing the chord work and the note work all coming together so it kind of it was backing backing itself that's what i kind of like about the the clawhammer style like it backs itself so there's almost two instruments going you've got the drive i didn't really kind of demonstrate that well there but you've got the drive of that rhythm the chug of the bump chugger and you've got the the note plucking so you can get that melody over the top it's beautiful and then now subsequently listening to john cardi and other players much more intently looking for it i I hear it in in a lot of nice pockets so was the banjo the f- the first thing that kind of drew you into the old timey stuff, or had you been listening to old timey stuff before you started playing the banjo? Yeah, I had always. I loved Americana. I loved. The, it was a bit of country, kind of like that old country. Big fan of Tans Van Zant and and people like that. So I was interested in that end of American music. And I'd hear I'd hear bluegrass. I'd, there's a show on Melbourne Community Radio, Triple R Radio, on a Saturday afternoon called Twang. And there's a lot, there's a big mix in there, and I used to, I would, I would hear some bluegrass stuff, and some stuff would really jump out at me. And then one day, this has gone back years. I was listening, and they had these people on, and they were talking about this festival, and they were talking about this thing called Old Time and Bluegrass, and then they were playing snippets, and it was coming back again. Ah, actually, and it turned out to be Blackwood Festival that they were talking about. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the program, and who did I see on the program? Jerry. <laughs> So that's okay. actually how I met you, and I, so I took. That was a, that was the second year actually when I met you because I went to that festival. I ended up setting my camp beside, which I now know as I, one of the main, um, all time, kind of groups, not groups like, uh, just friends, big group of friends that that play, and I was camped right beside them, so they were sessioning, twenty four hours a day. And God like, love you. But you know, <laughs> anyone that listens to this will know that I adore like the long sessions and like the hip. Yeah. I remember lying in bed at like 3 a.m. and hearing, like, I only re- maybe knew the tune to maybe two or three songs. I knew maybe the tune to Cripple Creek and I don't know, maybe Angelina Baker, like one of those kind of first tunes you know. And every tune sounded like that. And I could make, the, I was kind of like making remixes in my head as I lay there, kind of, I could hear, no matter what I was playing, but I loved that. And I just went on, then it would die down and back again. 
anyway the next year that's when i camp beside jerry that's great by that's great. coincidence that's uh, that, you know when i i went to womad one year and the first time i went to womad in the south of england and um there were like these drum circles on the campsite everywhere you go like so all night you know um but it was not fun and the next year I went back, there was a big sign at the front of the campsite. It was like, no drum circles allowed on the campsite. <laughs> you don't draw it. Because it. it wasn't like people who were like really good at playing the drums. It was no. a lot of people like me who, you know, got high and got their gem, gem bees out. And were just <laughs> yeah. like, you know, flattering <laughs> away. I might like, have mentioned it on here but, before. Yes. Drada used to have a samba festival every summer. And I used to work in this place called the Hot Pot, which uh, was like, it was pretty famous for having some of the best food, fast food in the town and right beside it is uh mcphail's pub now if anyone's passed through drada and had a session they've more than likely i would say definitely drank in mcphail's <laughs> and that was always the epicenter for the, the samba festival so you get to work have your 10 hour shift oh my god I said, you know, uh, like Drogheda has never done a good job of um, of publicizing what a variety of cultural riches it has to offer. The for me, for me, it was just it was Oliver Plunkett's head, yeah. and that was it. You know, the thing, the, the thing that I that, that I remember about Drogheda is, you remember when we had to when we had to drive through it when you were forced to drive through uh -huh. it in, 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 in the old days, <laughs> and you and they had those buckets or something up on that um, line. It was like these. It was, it was a coal buckets or something that used to go along the top of the bridge. So you'd go under this and you'd have these little things on. I'm talking about like the 70s, so before you were born probably. But uh, we drive to Dublin. Do you remember driving no, down that no, one? They'd be like no. this. They'd be like uh, like these moving buckets. They, it actually reminds me of Hotham. Do you know when you go up to Hotham? This yeah. is this ski ski resort up here in Victoria. And when you just drive around the, the corner, you see the... Uh, lifts the uh, chair like is just going up gondola going up it was the same sort of thing just on a kind of a smaller drier duller scale <laughs> oh, I've never, sorry I've about no that, idea that but it was like you drive you drive under the bridge and they'd be coming across unless I'm just what were they? imagining that was there like uh, some kind of a the, the, it was probably stuff coming from the port wasn't there a port there was there yeah 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 there is like so maybe it was stuff just getting taken across yeah. oh, so like right. it's, it is quite um, industrial and then thinking back right. like 80s and it was much more industrial so absolutely there could have been you know what there's like a there's a big sawmill and if it's right underneath it's the viaduct like, it stuff, was under the viaduct yeah, yeah you'd, you'd i think try. maybe in your mind as a kid that was much much bigger than it actually was <laughs> these big buckets like big hands and then oh. then there was a you're not allowed advertising on this podcast but it was a a burger place the something lanterns or something like that that Four used to lanterns. stop us yeah oh. Stop out there for a big dirty yeah, cheeseburger. Great. You could have a cheeseburger and watch some theatre. Street <laughs> street theatre. Um, did you want to talk about Drogheda in terms of growing up and what it was like? Like if you've talked from what I've heard from yourself chatting uh, and on the podcast episodes, it sounded like when you were growing up, there wasn't necessarily a lot of trad music around that you took any notice of at that time. But yeah. do you remember the first time that you kind of got exposed to any form of music? Well, yeah, I I have definitely would have put my foot in my mouth before and said there wasn't trying mm. music. That was completely on me. There absolutely was, and I would have just been looking in all the wrong places. Memories of it are definitely 100% uh, Carberry's Pub. Mm -hmm. So I used to have a Sunday session 
a Sunday morning session. And uh, my dad used to play in that. So my, my dad is actually quite a good um, harmonica player and he's played right. concertina and plays all little bits and pieces. But that, he, would, he would definitely play in, on the harmonica in there. And I'd go down on a Sunday morning with, with my brother and we'd mm-hmm. sit in and there'd be um, Wally from a band called Harafish who's well-known around, around Johanna. And there's all these like really big personalities. But I was pretty young. Like I would have been early... Or mid mid teens, where I was, I was old enough to kind of be looking and to kind of think, am I going to get a drink here? But it's Carberry, so I probably won't. <laughs> um, and kind of awkward enough to be starting to be self conscious and stuff. But knowing I was witnessing something really extraordinary, Carberry's is an extraordinary pub. I, even though it is a bit of a tourist destination, mm-hmm. and it's still somewhere you need to go to experience it. Is it's like walking into another world. I've mentioned it on here a few times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The music is still, you still get good music in there. So did your dad, um, when you were a kid, did your dad play the harmonica in the house? Remember See, this, this, is, this is the weird thing. I, I, don't, I don't remember my dad playing, when I was really young, I don't remember. There's always music on in the house. Mm-hmm. And they, like my dad had a record collection that I've definitely pilfered and, and listened to all, all, for years. And your parents are both from Drogheda? Um, you mentioned your mom, mom's, your yeah, mom's from... My mom's from Drogheda, Drogheda and my dad is from Scaries. Right. Um, and his, his family's from uh, Kerry, mm-hmm. and they come over to Scaries. So there's always music around. <clears throat> but I de- definitely, again, at the same time, in the same period that I can remember my, my dad going out to Carberry's, there was, I remember I'm starting to play a lot more downstairs. And like, it looked like the, the townhouses, like I was up in my bedroom, which was directly above, we call it like his room, he'd be playing in there. But I think it's it's hard when you're in a place like that. Like he, he worked a a job you come home you're tired you mm. hang out spend a bit of time with the kids by the time you get to go and practice and if you're in a house like that your neighbours are right next door you, your, yeah. your time is limited so I think I remember I remember listening to it a lot then and not really understanding it it was just diddly idle stuff yeah, yeah. but uh, and then yeah I think by the time I moved away he would have been playing he was going to the like they were, my mum and my dad then kind of had got a camper van later on they kind of got a little bit more serious about going to the Flas, going to Willie Clancy following the music around the country constantly but so I, I wasn't on the scene so your dad worked in Drogheda yeah he, he worked in the um, no he worked in Drogheda as a um, he was a storeman for the Drogheda County Council yeah when I was in Drogheda yeah and you mentioned about uh some relatives who had the farm then was that your grandmother or your yeah so my dad's dad so they they moved over from from Kerry um they in in Scaries where they were that's where they had the farm mm-hmm. so they would my, my granddad would have been the like the head farmer for the, the property owner yeah and you mentioned before about the dance music being a big part of your evolution oh, with yeah. music so, so like was, 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 was that through through high school as well yeah, like, I've always been obsessed by music. Yeah, like one of my early like Christmas presents was like a red single player tape deck, and I, I must have been like eight, nine. But I'm like still remember sitting because the songs in my head are like um, Stevie Wonder. The what's the one he has with the kiss in the title? Big one, Stevie Wonder. Saints, I just called. No, no, no. no. Sorry, I just called to say I love you. So I definitely that's I remember sitting in my bedroom floor with the tape just all day just waiting for a dj to play it and my fingers hovering over the play and record button just waiting so like whenever that whatever year that song was out was when i would have been sitting with a tape deck and i've always yeah. been obsessed with with music yeah 
so with dance music I would have been 12, 13 when I first heard like the Prodigy experience like mm-hmm. we spoke about it with mm-hmm. Derry Farrell yeah. that was transformative hearing that yeah. it was like what the fuck is this wait hold on mm-hmm. so, so there's a bit of a jump there from uh, lying on your floor listening to I just called to say I love you to, oh, the next, I'm a fire starter twisted fire starter nah. so like, <laughs> and you've jumped too far on the Prodigy <laughs> lineage there too Oh, sorry, sorry. sorry. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be slandered with that. So after, after I just called, I was hugely, hugely influenced by my uncle. So my uncle's only four years older than me, and his his older brother, so my uncle as well, but Fergal's older brother. He was big into music, but he was into like '80s hair rock. You go over to their house on a Saturday morning, like so. I'd get dropped over to my nan nan, nan and pop's house in Marion Park on a Saturday morning while my mum. And her mum, my nana, would go up the market, and <clears throat> you're like Queen would invariably be just <laughs> blasting out of the top room, like the um, like every time I cannot hear the op that opening of Live at Wembley where it's a uh, and ding, 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 oh, what's this song? I can't remember. The, 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 the Queen or something? Yeah, like I cannot hear that without being, I mean, transported to the bottom of that staircase. And I'm looking up and just that wonderment of like, what is going on up there? Like the smell of like boys, like they were older than me. They were like boys, but men, like they shared a room. And I was just like, like steep staircase and those kind of old, like Marion Park's a probably 1950s housing state. Just like the carpet on the, on the staircase. And it's just that sound of like, oh my God. Anyway, Jared is the older one. He moved to, to New York to follow his dreams and his, and his rock and roll hair and stuff and Fergal I idolised this father Fergal like my uncle I idolised him and he was really into in excess, in excess and erasure where so erasure I bloody like I loved erasure and actually it was my first ever gig it was an erasure gig in 2012 I remember, remember I've still been in primary school yeah I was, I was in sixth year in primary school I remember like finishing school and going home knowing I was going to the Point Depot that night and it was when they had released I don't know if, no one's probably an Erasure fan they did a, a like an EP of ABBA covers and it was during the time when Vince had the the synth tank it was like a tank that had synths going well, imagine a golf buggy but then you covered the whole ceiling in synths right around so he would drive around the stage and play the synths from inside the stage I remember getting into the point that it was an all-seated gig and I, I had no idea about what gay was or it was just I was going there and it was full of dudes and everyone was so friendly and it was just like this party atmosphere but it was a seated event and we were like maybe row 10 from the front maybe th- row 20 they come on stage and everyone stood up and then everyone stood up on top of the set down seats and then everyone started doing the splits between the seat in front and the seat back so like the entire point that then the seats start collapsing so the security coming and shutting everyone down but I'm like 12 so I'm still getting and I remember like seeing it and then like um, Andy Bell turns around he's got Atlas chaps on and I'm like I don't see myself wearing that but I'm like this is fun you know <laughs> and the other band was NXS <laughs> and then the Prodigy jeez and I just but just was it once once I found the Prodigy it was around when like jungle was happening and drum yeah. and bass and yeah. I would just I remember in again my nan's house Christmas headphones on 
I think someone even would have gotten like the best of jungle 93 <laughs> and I just you know that episode of Father Ted when, yes uh, yeah the, so that the, tune was one of my favorite tunes. I would just sit with headphones on it with the the light the aggressive yeah Brendan oh. <laughs> just drilling the wall Aye. yeah anyway would you like to get a word in no that's grand <laughs> so we, we were we were driving out of uh, out of our place yesterday myself and my son Johnny and on my playlist uh, that I'd clicked onto so not my own playlist but the other one just to kind of run through Spotify um, Erasure comes on with Ola Moore which oh. I haven't heard in like years and I was never an Erasure fan and I'm uh-huh. listening going you know what that's actually not so bad oh, Johnny's going dad what is this stuff I'm like, <laughs> I'm like oh this was actually quite funky back in the day he's got no arsonist treasures that fellow <laughs> you know? the important bits are covered yeah, yeah. Uh, my only my only sort of my, like I always sort of thought with, with Erasure I just would be like those are like the tunes are brilliant you know mm-hmm. yeah. and I remember um, there was a kind of fa- we had a sort of family reunion about 15 years ago 20 years ago and um, my brother was over from Canada and his his wife was there as well and her brother was there and he brought his acoustic guitar and he, he at that time was gigging all over Ireland doing cover versions and he had this he just had this gift for doing top pop hits on the acoustic guitar brilliant you know and my memory of that whole thing like um was my mum singing along to an erasure song that he was which that he was like um just that one i don't know what that is um I don't know. Go, give me the sometimes sometimes was their big hit wasn't yeah. it yeah yeah that one yeah, yeah. and um it was just i was i was my mom was just kind of everybody's singing along you yeah. know my mom's just singing along as if it was you know john denver or jim jim reeves or whatever i, I don't know i blame so razor for remember how i mentioned how like i have this thing with, with love songs particularly like with female artists I, I, I can guarantee it stems from that because it's a, it's an infatuation with an, with an idea of romance, which probably comes from it obsessively listening to, like Eraser, like that. I just I loved it. Like I love what they were were singing about. I, I I wouldn't have been related to to gender or sex because I was probably too young, but it romanticized mm-hmm. romanticism in my mind. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it, it like I kind of got infatuated with ooh sometimes like singing about people mm-hmm. and like that was i was listening i was like yeah mm-hmm. and i was putting myself in that in that situation which i'm sure everyone does with a love song that's why they're that's why they're there but i don't know i think that's the the seed for my my love nowadays of the taylor swifts and the whoever billy Eilish we were just talking about see what i remember about erasure is because i'm a bit older than you but when it, when they were kind of coming on the scene and they were being played at our junior discos so we were like 14 15 16 belfast the lads who loved Erasure were not the lads who were going around kissing each other and hugging each no. other, let me tell you. So, like, they were singing all this, but they were going and smacking, smacking you up as you're, yeah. you're going past them, you know, or following you outside, giving you a good doing. <laughs> Jack, so, so, was, so, like, how, how did you view the, not sexual ambivalence, but, like, just, you know, like, if I think about this now in the context of, of um, how I view um, sexuality, right, um, there was definitely um, part of me when I was growing up, you know, with and you'd see Boy George and you'd see all these kind of stock gay characters like John Inman on Are You Being Served? And you'd see Larry Grayson and, and these characters. And, and I, I never knew what to make of it. And I, and I think there was like 
I mean, clearly I was growing up in a very conservative um, household in a very conservative society in that regard, right? But it's, it, it, I, I mean, I've, I've really never thought about it that much until, Darren, you were talking about this a few mm -hmm. weeks back and we started kind of wondering about it. And it's, um, it's quite an interesting thing because I think about seeing... Like, I remember seeing Boy George on something and Frankie Goes to Hollywood as well, right? Mm. Frankie Goes to Hollywood. And and thinking, just not knowing what to make of it and being uncomfortable with it, right? For, I don't know why. I know why. Anyway, that's... We just wonder, because there's so much ambiguity too. Like, I'm, I know I'm a bit younger, but like I think part of it is there's an ambiguousness to it. So you're left feeling uncomfortable because you're bringing you're defining what it is it's almost like you need to be told to kind of go yep I'm, that, I'm, that's fine by me yeah. but there was the way it was treated in the media was very much like flirting close to the subject but then leaving it because they couldn't say yeah i don't to know a large I, part, yeah i don't know i i don't know it's kind of um i don't know if it's interesting or not it's it's something that as you were talking about that there i, I um if i think about things from my own childhood that that I look back on now and I wonder about um what what push and pull was going on in various aspects of my identity I just kind of it's interesting yeah mm -hmm. I don't know mm -hmm. anyway sorry don't to, to, to take that uh, uh, should we do an narration tune <laughs> who needs love like that Dominic uh did you want to play a tune or do you want to have a chat um yeah I'll do a song actually if that's all right yeah excellent um, it's another not Irish song actually I think this was written by Jeff Tweedy of Wilco um, in one of his incarnations as Golden Smog so after um, I think not long after my mum died uh, one night when I was in Seattle I played this song very quietly into my phone and then I sent it to all my family because I was feeling a bit um melancholy about it all but <laughs> anyway um. please tell my brothers I love them still over the mountains on their farm bill I should call more often but they know I never will please tell my brothers I love them still Please tell my sister I miss her too My nieces and nephews in their swimming pool When I think about them the skies are blue Please tell my sister I miss her too Please tell my father I miss him still Forget the railroad and all those bells Head to the cooler and drink your fill Please tell my father I miss him still Listen, dear mother And as I travel from coast to coast 
I feel your loving, I feel your ghost. Listen, dear mother, I miss you most. Dominic, could I, could I ask you about Hi. growing up? In Ballycastle, because I know what it was like growing up in Belfast, and I've heard you talk a little bit over the, the episodes about what it was like for you, but do you mind just telling us a bit more about what it was like in your... You you come from a family of how many kids? So, t- 12. 12. 12 kids, and um, I suppose most of the time when I was growing up, there were probably about somewhere between six of us at home seven sometimes you know it was always very exciting when the the big brothers and sisters would come home from Belfast all you know that was always a big big exciting thing to have one of the grown-ups come back you know what, what kind of age difference so that? like my oldest brother's about 67 or 68 I think so he was born in about 52 I think and I was born in 68 and then I've got two younger sisters and my youngest sister was born in 72 so mm. all right so you know um, there's one set of twins in there too, so that doesn't really count. Uh, although my mum did say, my mum did say, and, and you know, I, I was chatting to her. I, I managed to do one recording with her, and she, I did sort of ask her about, you know, having so many kids, and you know, I was like, did that, you know, I, I know, like, did you never think at some point that was enough? And she said, well, I would, but then I'd be down the street and I'd see another wee baby, and I'd think, oh, I wouldn't mind another. <laughs> Another one. So when they moved into the house where I grew up, um, there was an old woman who lived across the road, and she says, "Oh yeah, I was Granny Wallace came over after we moved in, and there was uh, there was kids up the stairs, and there was kids <laughs> down the stairs." And she says, "Oh, are you having a party?" And my mum says, "No, no, no, it's it's like this every day." Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's lovely to think so, about. I know. It's I great. know. So. Um, so yeah, so it was a big, it was a big family and very, um, very loving. And um, you, you know yourself. So as you get older, you sort of think about the complexities of the forces that sort of form your personality, right? And verbal sparring was highly prized as a, mm. it was a survival thing. You know, it was, it was a lot of that kind of. So do you remember what's your earliest memories of music in the house? You have. Actually, the earliest memory is, um, I think I'd mentioned before about my uncle Leo coming in and playing the accordion once in the, probably sometime in the late 70s. Um, The real um, sort of recorded music thing for me was just, it was always music from, uh, mostly from my brothers who were into it and listening to the first Black Planks, the album, the first track, the beginning of the Raggle Taggle Gypsy Mm -hmm. and that fibrous sounding that whole beginning that that's a pretty sort of kind of profound memory for me you know and then i heard the body band like everybody else has and the wolf whistle at the whistle at the start of um live in paris that kind of yeah. as they begin the cash jig and that where was the record and that blew, my, that blew my mind that was i got that on a cassette from Ballycastle library you know it was i can picture it it was in um, that you know those cassette holding things mm-hmm. they used to have those kind of carousels and there was there was that and there was Ultravox and I was like the body band or Ultravox body band you would have gone for Ultravox see Darren and, oh, I, yeah. and I went for the body band 
So there you go. Um, so, so so you're and the neighbour that you talk about who come comes across whistling the yeah. Uh, so that was that, Sally Gardens or something, was it? That was least? Billy Greer. So he used to he used to deal the the boys of Blue Hill. Boys of Blue Hill. Yeah, mm. and he he was an orange man, um, and um, I actually. <laughs> I actually did um, a series about the Orange Order in Scotland when I was working in Scotland, I'd, where I went and sort of went on a few Orange walks and things with members of an Orange band and things, which was a bizarre experience. But um, as I was doing that, I remember going home and I was talking to Billy and I was, I was sort of voicing some of the questions that people had said to me, like, you know, it's very anti-Catholic and, you know, you'd never, you know, you know, if you're a Catholic, you can't join and stuff. And he just looked at me and said, why would you want to join? It's not for you, you know. Yeah. So you know. Um, so anyway, he was he was much older. He would have been the same age as my parents. Um, and um, yeah, he was a he's a lovely lovely fella. I very uh, vivid memories of him. He was he was a very hardworking man, and he put us kids to shame. Like he was the reference point, you know, of like. Look at Billy Greer over there cutting his hedge, and you're lying up in your bed. Get up and sweep the yard. <laughs> you know, Billy Greer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he was he was great. He was very much loved. So you've you've spoken before as well. I don't know if through this show or just uh, having a friendly chat. But you told me about going to was it Dunloy you went to for your for your whistle. I do remember going to Dunloy. I remember um, going to Dunloy. It must have been like a wee, like a mini fla of of some kind. I remember going there, and um, it was very discouraging. <laughs> it was very discouraging actually, because I was told that I was playing too quietly. It was some old guy just went, "I can't hear you! I can't hear you! What are you? What are you doing? I can't hear you!" And uh, and that was it. That was it. I was broken. <laughs> so you were you weren't going there for your classes. No, you were the just classes going there for, actually. So the they classes, were in Ballycastle. They were in Ballycastle. Yeah, the classes were done. Uh, so the McGrath sisters. Uh, Sinead, was it be Sinead and another sister from um, they weren't from Macrafelt, they were from maybe Randallstown or somewhere um, uh, and they had, they ran classes in Ballycastle Museum for a few years and I remember, so that was a Saturday morning thing and that was the Roddy McCorley and the Foggy Jew and the, the Armagh Pipers Club book that I posted a wee picture of mm-hmm. the other day, mm-hmm. you know and and um, but I, I I do have this really um, like the the really lucky. There's so many really lucky things. I mean, I was lucky that you know Ada McMichael, this woman who was a friend of my parents, forced me to play at a school concert with her her son and and another fella. Um, but I, but I, I've got this very fond memory of just my sort of fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen playing in the house of McDonald there, um, Tom and Neil's pub. This kind of long long dark panelled pub covered with mirrors and um and playing also in the Boyd Arms in Ballycastle, which uh was the last sort of year and a half that I was there before we went to uni and that was just a really sweet memory because it was it's like um there was five of us playing there and it was just like getting to do that on a Friday night. I mean you, when you're that age you you get nothing else. This is like a real thing where you get to go and you're you're sort of 
the stars of the show sitting in this wee corner beside the fire. Did you take you know? it very serious? Oh, of course. Aye, yeah. aye. We even had a microphone. You know? really? One microphone. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look serious. how far you've come. You've got two now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. It was bloody brilliant. And also that place would, would stay open till all hours. So. Um, and we got paid a fiver each. So, you know. so you, And you would have been playing... You would have been playing actually out though from a couple of years before that, would you? I think so. I, I, so. So um, this this person, Ida, that you mentioned. So Ida was a friend. She was a friend of my mum's, and she was really. I think she she originally trained as a midwife, and so she would have been the same age as my mum, and she was married to, um, she's married to a friend of my dad's, and so you know they all knew each other very well, and she was a very interesting woman I realise now she was kind of ahead of her time I think you know she was she wrote poetry she was very literate she was super energetic you know I remember seeing her coming up the driveway she always wore a, an overall and I always remember her coming in and thinking wow this you know, like it's different energy mm. you know she was always kind of doing stuff and always um, always out and about and like just a really amazing figure and the bishop was coming to the to open the school the extension to our school and she decided that I should play a few tunes with Owen McMichael, her her son, who's a really lovely guy and a, a really nice fiddle player, and Tony Murray, another fellow who's a great whistle player and flute player at the time. And so that's what we did, and we played, I think we played The Walls of Liscarroll and right. um, a three-tin whistle, count them, three-tin whistle version of The Musical Priest. <laughs> In unison, yeah. sort of. That's great. So, so you would have been, that, you, you would have been what, 16, 17? Yeah, 16, yeah. yeah. So anyway, it's very, I mean, like, it's, it's anybody listening to this will know, like, I mean, this stuff is incredibly vivid mm. for me. Like, it's just, you know, to the point where it's sometimes debilitating. Like, sometimes I have problems of making the most of being in the present because I'm so sort of, there's, there's like a kind of gravitational pull sometimes these memories have for me that I find I have to really kind of, sort of detach myself mm -hmm. you know so anyway so who was your who was your teacher through that time was that Ida as well or was that no no I think that was just then we didn't have a teacher that would teach us that stuff you, it was just we were just doing it ourselves yeah from the yeah. books or whatever the tapes you could get yeah 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 so um, hence you, the do you grapple with do you grapple with a young whistle play within yourself um what do you mean I just grapple with not being very good. I, I mean, like not feeling that I'm that I'm very good at. Like I feel like I've got a kind of, I have a feel for the tunes and things, but I don't feel like I've got the technique, you know. And there's, um, and as I've been, one of the things that I've really learned as I've listened to this is that uh, that I'm absolutely right about that. That, that there's so much more to it than mm -hmm. than than I ever really realized, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'm I feel like I'm pretty pretty basic, but I can you know I can I can get through a tune yeah. on a good day with a following wind. Yeah. But I don't feel like I'm, I don't feel like I'm grappling with myself musically. I I do feel like I grapple with the younger versions of myself. Okay. In that, other in other in other ways, you know. Right. What I mean? Yeah. Because mm -hmm. yeah. okay. yeah. that that's really what I was trying to differentiate. Is it the there's a young man playing whistle and you're you're channeling him and you're kind of pulling him in different ways, or is it more just that kind of existential, the abyss of your own brain thinking of your youth. It's that bit. It's a bit of that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Nothing serious. Yeah. Nothing serious. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, So, Darren, what about yourself then? Once you, so you went through high school. 
And then uh, from one of the episodes quite recently, you mentioned when you were having the chat with the lad from Drogheda, you were talking about about that time as well. So, so you left Ireland when you were seventeen, eighteen, was it? Or did you? Yeah, around nineteen. Well, I was nineteen. I left Drogheda. I was up and down to Dublin because I went. To, I went to uni there. Yeah. And went to live in Germany for a while in to that in ninety nine. Mm-hmm. But then I was I was back by the end of the year, and then. So what what were you doing over there? I was in, I was working in media, right. in a factory making magazines. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, uh, I've always been I've, I've always been working in the industry and all its uh, facets. So you know, uh, do you remember Kerrang magazine? Like yeah, 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 yeah. So I stuck the CDs on the Kerrang. Excellent. In the German copy. So I couldn't even read them. That's awesome. Actually, I was only talking about this to my kids during the week because they were like, what was that story, Dad? What was the word that you that you had gone over to Germany that made everyone think you knew you had to speak German? So me and my best mate, Fergal Bradley, went there together and we'd go in for job interviews <laughs> and they'd say, Sprechen Deutsch? And we'd say, and be seen. And just do, the, do that thing with your hand. And it didn't matter what they'd say next. You'd go, ah. And then they just snap into English, but you've already established you've got a good grasp on the language. Like you've, so they just go, yeah, you can definitely work in a factory that is only German, all the German people, and us too, where you could buy beer in the vending machine. <laughs> it was cheaper to buy beer than it was to buy soft drink. So like mezzo mix, mezzo mix was like let's say seventy cents. It was like thirty cents for a bottle of beer and a big bottle of beer. So we'd be on night shift, and we like often me and Fred would pass each other, and one would be coming out hammered after the night shift and you're going to be going in at 6am so it was a wacky back so was that Munich that you were in or Nuremberg alright Nuremberg yeah wow been in the news recently again Nuremberg for some must have been some anniversary of the of the not the rallies but the trials the trials uh-huh. Nuremberg's a real interesting city yeah. it, it was a good place to, to be around it's a it's really interesting place. A lot, a lot of history there. But just, in, it's a, just an interesting place to be. Beautiful. It looks like a fairy. Looks like, like a fairy tale. So you, you were there for three months, four months, or longer than that? Yeah, about five months. Yeah, five. And then you came back to Ireland. Yeah, I was. I, I, I did. I used to work at this place called Kennedy and McSharry, which is like a men's clothing store, which had been in Dublin and is still in Dublin. I think it was over hundred. It was coming up to hundred years when mm-hmm. I was there, mm-hmm. and it was very much old world men's clothing mm-hmm. um like a a camp version of it is um that show you mentioned before the are you being served, are you being served? yeah mm-hmm. Just like that. it was exactly like that so it was i'd walk in in the morning always wearing a suit morning mr last morning mr mahoney morning mr collins morning mr mcsherry it was all like really? prim and proper and you were because it's just around the corner from parliament and the door so you just it was always just a a flow of money coming through the place and i always felt very out of place but it was a nice kind of game to to play too I'm like I'm just this lad from Drogheda kind of chanting my arm and, and doing this kind of stuff so you were there for yeah I, I was on and off there for a while really until in 2001 I ended up living in New York for quite a while and what was that like yeah that was great so I worked for um I worked as a kitchen hand for a, a, a small stint and then got a job in uh in Bloomingdale's and so yeah that was kind of that was that was very much another one of those like what am i doing here so i remember like being in a the first day going down to the was the launch of jean-paul gaultier's fragile right 
Oh, that's new one of my favorites. Yeah, and, and yeah. that's why I brought it up. Yeah. And I was like being brought up onto into my first skyscraper, like in Dublin at the time, like the that building near the customs house was fifteen stories, and that was the tallest building, maybe still is in Dublin. I remember being on like the whatever sixty something floor in this skyscraper in a in a boardroom on a glass table that was like bigger than four houses <laughs> in my estate, <laughs> and, then, and and I was being treated as an equal. Like they have no idea. <laughs> But yeah, worked in Bloomingdale's then doing kind of the guys that stand around with the perfume and the and the makeup and that. And then got hired on to be a personal shopper. So Friends, the show, Rachel's character, I was, going, I was on the track to have that position. And then these dudes flew into some buildings. Um, yeah, so anyway, that's when it all kind of... So you, my were, visa, so you were actually working there in. right up until that time? Yeah. So were you in New York at that yeah, time? Yeah. So you were actually there on the... Yeah, the, yeah. I, I was living on the Upper East Side. Oh goodness! I was yeah. fast asleep when it happened. And the phone rang. It was my mum. Right. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, it was because it, then obviously what was happening with the economy and everything was a hiring freeze. And so did you travel back? So it. did you travel back quite soon after nine eleven? Or do you no, remember? not until kind of October, November. So you were there right through that time. That must have been yeah, it. Must have been back. incredible to be in New York at that time. Yeah, it, it was. It was a it was a hell of a hell of an experience. And then it was also the kind of the anthrax. Um, scares that happened directly off the back of that and it was just an intense time to be around but then i was 21 and do you remember the atmosphere in the in the town during that oh, time yeah, like in the city uh, yeah like forever like i'll for i remember this is where i told them about this before but i so the wake up and get the phone call and my mom's like oh my god you're okay because she knew i worked in bloomingdale's but my mom was mind bloomingdale's is in the middle of manhattan the trade center's in the middle of manhattan he could be there not knowing the, the the size so i picked up the phone and pretty much just after that no 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 actually what happened <laughs> i was staying with my uncle at the time and he's in his his room small new york apartment and i'm on the phone and i'm trying to whisper and we've been out in the beard the night before so we just woke up whatever it was like 9 30 whatever like she's like oh plane just flew into one of the trade towers are you okay so i'm like yeah this is weird but I was like keeping quiet so I wouldn't wake my uncle up. Like you just the the, the mats wasn't really fitting, and then the second plane hit pretty much then. And I'm like, oh, Jared. So did you actually hear anything at no, that time, no, no, or you? No, no, it was you were too far away. Um, what? But, but you, you, we you, were in, the, you were in Manhattan, though, yeah, were you? Yeah, wow. but like up way up, up at the other like, end, um, 85th, like up that area on the east side. But like when the F-111s came flying over, that was like the, that was the first fear because you hear that. And it's just you've no idea what it is. It's an airplane low coming in. Anyway, the long and short is still the 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 funny. I don't know if it's a young brain or just how we work. Haven't been around. I don't know. What I want to say is, I remember leaving the house and thinking, I've got work today. I better head downtown. So I'm up on 85th Street. Bloomingdale's is on 55th, mm-hmm. and the towers are all the way to the bottom. So coming out on the 85th Street and looking down like first or second Avenue, I forget which one. And just that scene, like the scene from like um, Independence Day, when it's just thousands of people going one direction, just walking uptown, just coming all towards the way. you. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, I gotta go down there. You gotta go down the other way. So I remember w- walking down to Bloomingdale's, and then kind of, yeah, it's obviously works not on, but it, the the things that stand out in my mind were just like the days afterwards, the night night or two afterwards, being in the bar, 
there's like at the local dive bar and like all the dump trucks those are quintessential american dump trucks all pouring past and people just going outside and applauding as they went down the street just these really mm-hmm. full-on american moments yeah. and then around the same time like all of the streets put tea light candles out on their doorstops and just these streets were just silent and all these like just gorgeous tea lights all down the street and just the community in the in, in in the neighborhoods and how it changed and like people went out like the, the, the night of september 11 the bars were packed and it was that kind of like whoa this is really like people are coming together right. i haven't like how many people were stranded it was yeah. a you was couldn't a get home time. yeah and then eventually then you had to go back into work i guess the next few days work yeah, was yeah. on again you just yeah. went back in and yeah. were people talking about it at work yeah and i think it's like the as i said the anthrax thing was happening around the same time so like i remember getting evacuated from the subway one day you don't know what it is was it all because it was all kind of related at one stage and no one really knew what was happening maybe me being me too at that stage i wasn't really paying more attention to like what like i was just getting whatever was on the news in the morning and that was it that was the news and i consumed it and anyway that was it was intense but then the city kind of came back i remember yeah i remember a great morning going to when the when, the, when was it twilo it was a nightclub it was a famous nightclub right down at um Grand Zero, and they opened up in the first weeks. And I remember going to going to that gig, and I coming out there like whatever nine thirty ten a.m. in the morning, and just being at Grand Zero and just like sitting, knowing like after being at that party, feeling what it was like in that in that club, going so late, and then walking out, and the reality that juxtaposition of like what the reality of the world is, but also knowing that we're coming back, we're still partying, we're still doing our thing, like life is gonna go on. It was yeah, just sitting down to water that morning, kind of. It was, it was a hard come down. Meanwhile, your family back here or back in Ireland were obviously aware that you were okay. Eventually, yeah. after a few yeah. days, once you were, once you yeah, well, it's like we spoke to each other that morning, Good. so yeah. and then kind of touching yeah. in. We're lucky so, to get onto each other actually. Like, there's so many phone calls were made that morning. Majority of them wouldn't have got through, yeah. and we, I was just lucky that my mom yeah. did get through. So did you stay on there for a few months and then your visa ran out? So yeah, it just when 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 it kind of I, I was eking it out and eking it out and then I was looking to like trying to go back casual and stuff and I was actually going to, <laughs> it was talk of getting married to a local woman over there to try and fudge everything and I kind of went I, I adored New York City adored it so I'm, like, I'm not screwing this up I'm gonna I'll go home I'll sort things out and I'll come back proper yeah now I live in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so how long so after I used to have nightmares about New York for years later that I would never get back there I would always be just outside of Manhattan in like a in a service station or a petrol station stranded and I couldn't get in like reoccurring so it was dreams. nothing to do with 9-11 it was just about nah, getting just you back to New York just the fear that I wouldn't be able to be living in Manhattan again really yeah wow, so it was, and then did you ever go back there for any I've been back extended a few times. length of time or you've just been not, not for an extended just always holidays yeah. Yeah. yeah I was there about two or three years ago I was working over in the States and I yeah. ended up going up there for a bit of a break. And I had just, it had a changed so much. For you. It was, yeah, it was a different, different city. So it was, so it was uh, States then back to Ireland for a short time and then Australia, was it? No, actually Brighton in the UK for almost another year right. in, in Brighton. What kind of work were you doing there? Uh, tally sales. <laughs> <laughs> I was selling gas and electricity all up and down England. Yep. And, yeah, then a friend, a good friend of mine, Brian Byrne, who'd been planning to come to Australia for for years, him and his cousin had planned it, like from the, when they left high school. And I think they were, I think he was living in 
yeah, he was living in London, or not London, in Liverpool. We brought him down. He lived with us maybe for three months just to eke out that last bit of savings. He moved, I think he was staying on the couch. And when he left, been big party night before, my mate Connor dropped him at the airport and he came back and he said, do you want to go to Australia? I said, yeah, go on. So we went down to the, <laughs> we went down to the uh, uh, what do you call it, the travel agent and we had 150 pounds was how much the, the deposit was and we bought tickets to Australia. That was it? That was it. And your, your visa was like a tourist visa or something? Yeah, or did the work paperwork later. Just bought so it. you weren't for staying in Brighton and you didn't have any intentions of staying on for a bit more? Oh, I would have loved to. Like Brighton, uh, Brighton, Brighton sounds like a good spot. Great town, yeah. But, you know what I mean? The, the next adventure. The next thing's is, just going to yeah, happen. Yeah. And like telesales is a horrible job. Yeah. Like you cannot, you can't do that for very long. So, so did you go to Sydney or Melbourne or where did you? I went Perth and then Perth? Sydney for a year. Perth for a small stint at the start, but couldn't find work. And then Sydney for a year. Yeah. During that time I met Brooke Moore, my now wife, yeah. and lived in, lived in Brisbane then for six years. And I've been down here for 11 years. Wow, right. Yeah. How did you find Queensland when you were up there? Warm. Do you like it? Warm? It's warm. It's warm. Like gonna, I, I, I hated it to start, but I, ha- I wasn't really a big fan. Of it. There wasn't a lot going on that I could find. And then mm. I looked into this DIY punk mm. noise scene that was thrive- that started to thrive there. There's a place called 610 mm-hmm. Ann Street, which was a, 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 a practice studio. And so let's say it was five, six rooms and it, practice um, rooms in this place and they would have on the first weekends they started having parties in the little rooms so then you might get a hundred kids in there and we'd all go in and like you'd have you'd bring a drink in from Mexico so you might be like two doors down looking around the corner down a hallway hearing some band and then as the weekends went on the walls were getting trashed punched through then they ripped out all the walls and then it was just full on just graffiti squat party the floors was just cans like three or four cans deep everywhere you it was raucous and it was most nights of the week it was their best time their best time and then all around <laughs> all around like the, the shitter was like a huge room with a toilet in the far corner and no door <laughs> one like on the staircase on the way up a couple of stairs missing like the, the stuff that had happened in there like you just would not believe it and then but that also fed into it, it was a great noise scene great diy scene and there was then just all these kind of squat parties would happen everywhere. There was a really, there was a really thriving um, like house party scene as well. So like in Queensland, they build their houses up on these stilts, right? They're called Queenslanders. So the houses are usually like a timber worker style cottage, but they're raised up. It's 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 the size of a basement, but it's usually open. And it's normally the coolest part of the of the house. So that's you would always on the weekend end up in someone's under their house and someone have like dropped an extension lead down with some punk band thrashing away and like you just sucking down tallies it was great fun <laughs> so when you're mentioning all that music in queensland when you were back in manhattan and then brighton do you remember being involved in the music scene more than just going out at the yeah, weekends like were you actually were you playing DJing, anything or yeah. djing so yeah. you were djing in manhattan not much i did a, I did a little bit my, my favorite DJing experiences and I, I DJed for a full deaf party so I walked in to do my, my set and I, it was in a basement in this this place Mustangs and as I'm walking down the stairs you can tell the sound like you you, you instinctively know there's people there but it wasn't the hubba bubba that you're used to like the you know what I mean like sounds like a bar and I get in the place was packed to the rafters 
but no one was speaking. It was all, everyone was signing. It was the strangest night. So me and my, my, mate, my mate at the time, Rodney, was the bartender, was like five, ten metres across from the decks. And we were just chatting. And I was like DJing, chatting, DJing. So I used to play in there a bit. I never, I got like my, my drinks and a couple of dollars and I never really. So was was that money. when you really started properly DJing or had you been doing it before you went to America? From about 19. I got my deck when oh, I was great. 19. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So do you still do that? Obviously not nah. now in the I've kind of COVID my scene. But I've got most of my records here, but have you been doing it the last couple of years? Nah, nah. I'll mess around on yeah. my laptop every again, now and again. But I so, just, so were you doing um, that in Queensland as well? Then you were DJing? Nah, nah, not really. What about when you I came? did a deal of like little spots when I was in Queensland. I, like I made noise in some of the noise bands and like kind of strummed on guitars. So when you say made but, noise in a noise band, you mean you were in a band with other people and you were playing with them? making noise there's playing and then there's making noise i was what, making noise what were you actually playing like what were you doing guitar pedals <laughs> like really just making an a drone a, a, like. so you're playing the electric guitar with pedals yeah and just making long drones great. so there's three of us i mean like and i'd use my computer and sampling you know it was it was more about the experience so, so did you record stuff um oh yeah we're, we're still on myspace excellent <laughs> <laughs> I, I got it got an email there the other week and yeah. we're interesting for more of your music Oh, that's thanks. brilliant. That's yeah, brilliant. No, this is like definitely a spam email. <laughs> yeah. So then, and then you went, Mel, then you went Sydney, then Melbourne. Is that right? No, I had been in Sydney. You'd been in Sydney. Sydney. First. Can yeah. I can I ask you a quick question? There? Yeah, Just like can. so, um, if you don't want to talk about this, this is okay. But I, it's another aspect of your Queensland experience that's really interesting to me, which was the the stuff you used to do with your pal, where you would go down the sewers and all that. Oh yeah. Do oh, I didn't do so, it a whole lot. Yeah. So my mate Jay. So explain what this is. So, I studied audio engineering when I was living in Queensland, and so this is two thousand and four. And I met a guy called Jay Mulder. Jay actually only passed away two years ago, and Jay's Jay was a really quiet guy. And one of the things he was into was called urban exploring. So I was doing kind of urban exploring with the DIY scene. And by that, it's really just like looking for warehouses, breaking in, finding out where you can get power from and having a party. So that's that's the extent of it. Maybe going on top of some buildings on the roofs and stuff. Jay wasn't into, never drank, never into drugs. What he liked to do was go proper urban exploring. So you crack a manhole cover and then drop in into like the, the storm drains. And then there's a on there's a there's like um there's these clans that know what the what the patterns of these maps are and there's like illegal maps they pass around each other so they have these huge sand sandstone caves on the underneath um brisbane they're probably underneath most cities i know they are in melbourne there's a big cave clan here but yeah he he took me on a couple of adventures one which is like the most intense so i live in a place called hurston and Fortitude Valley, it says Hurston, and Fortitude Valley is just kind of down the hill. And Fortitude Valley in Brisbane is the nightclub zone, like it's where all the drinking happens, like the entertainment precinct. Just, he brings me down just to the edge of that. Me, it was me, Jay, and my friend Ben Toussaint. And Jay takes out this tool and he's like, keep sketch. And he cracks this lid and he's like, right, get in. And like the walls are moving. There's like cockroaches. It's like, so you shimmy and instantly you just heart is pounding and you're probably like a shoulder like you're standing but your shoulder width is the wall like maybe an inch either side of your of your shoulders and you're crouched and you're, you're walking and you're walking through water and you've got your lamp in your head and you've got a spare lamp in your side and as you walk the caves the, the 
the tunnels get bigger and bigger and bigger when they all join up and he's showing us because he's been down these many times he's pointing out all the different little things and he's showing where stuff's been carved take you into another room where it'll be like a huge um like where they've had cinema nights where they brought in furniture and so and then they just get bigger and bigger to the size of like you're talking like multiple double decker size just sandstone gorgeous so then what jay would was into then too which is really great and before he died he made all his photos um royalty free so he would take photographs down in these tunnels and then he would go down and do light painting so you'd set your camera he set his camera on really really long exposure and then you go down a tunnel and you start painting the tunnel and so you like actually paint in real time in the, t- in the tunnel and then you've got your 2d image so I've, i should for this episode try and find yeah. out where those uh, absolutely photographs are because uh, jay was a brilliant brilliant fella God. Uh, yeah i got to before when we knew he was dying mm-hmm. i got him to come well he came down here to visit me one of the kind of the times you were saying goodbye yeah. and yeah i said could you tell me about it because he was very very secretive about this because you would be like he used to bring me out to other places which would be the um firewatch station so you drive right up into the hinterland and then break into these firewatch stations so like 2 a.m in the morning you go up to these firewatch stations and you can see for as far as the eye can see up like past the glasshouse mountains all the way down you can see like brisbane you can see the lights of gold coast even further on that like just spectacular and then do long exposure shots of the sky and stuff so all that stuff he made it all royalty free magical yeah magical that's enough for me man Jin? yeah <laughs> are you not bricking it when you go down there is that the point of it yeah i i like once i did that 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 particular one that was i did like an old hospital i did a few of the the firewatch places and then that particular one was the that was the one where i was like that let me i'll finish the story and then i'll tell you what happened a couple of weeks later so the cave kind of split off into one like into like into different channels still pretty big talking like boss size big but the water keeps on getting deeper and deeper so now it's like coming up over your knees and you eventually were spit out down in um on the other side of the valley and are you coming out, are you coming out of a pipe or are you coming up out of a manhole no this pipe is like the size of a bus right so like it's a tunnel at that stage actually when when you're in there running water is bad obviously if you hear running water that's bad but there's um he brought us into a side tunnel which took us right up under the i think it's called the rca the royal something re- arena the royal showgrounds in 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 brisbane mm-hmm. and he was showing us like this is how people used to, used to be a festival on in there called vivid it was on every year yeah i think it was called vivid and i used to that was the festival location for queensland any big acts were coming through that was the festival and that's the way people would sneak in they'd all stash their beer down in these tunnels then they'd go into the festival crack a manhole <laughs> at a site drop down into these manholes so he's shown us that and next minute we hear <laughs> like so you're hearing a kadunk sound and like a flowing so i'm just we're just terrified so he's all right guys just hang on here we're fine we're at the highest point we've got an exit nothing happened i think maybe the water down from us maybe got a rush through because like that's why it's it's really dangerous so the heart rate was definitely up from there okay. and we found a knife randomly down there too i'm like mm, okay he said it happens you find a lot of stuff down here like there's been all sorts then so we get out and we get out at the end of this tunnel 
and like you're coming you kind of on the other, other side of the, the valley so you know it's a saturday night we've got mud up to our knees in our shorts like we're sopping you've got all the like the everyone's out in those nice shirts and like <laughs> and also just like stinking of sewer water like hot, like glowing like because you've made it and like you're just walking back to my place and they're 15 minutes back up and it's just like that was insanely good so fast forward i'm talking four or five weeks later i'm in my house in hurston and this crazy storm so queensland has crazy storms particularly you know, at that time of year in the evening they can just form and go so jay would always be talking about the weather and and how you would never do anything like this you would never go in on your own you would never go in without telling someone you would never and like i don't want anyone to listen to this and think it's a good idea like these guys like jay got into it and he was he was um mentored by these other people and they'll you can search out where these people are make contact and they will take you but don't do this stuff on your own and this is the reason why so just up from my house i'm talking like 200 meters right in front of where the hospital is in hurston there is a a grate there and two boys went in i want to say boys there were like 20 and it's, it's that, that storm that i heard passed over and one was swept away and one guy managed to hold on to the as he was passing the grate and get saved by someone that was there and the other guy died and that was just 200 meters or so from my house just a few weeks after we'd done it so there was no way i was ever doing like that again yeah yeah it's too like it's completely too risky jay used to have a special watch that would like have the barometer or like with weather watching like he'd like he just he was into it and would net like he was just uber cautious so what's the term for it has it got like a name yeah urban exploring urban exploring so like in melbourne and and australian cities they have these things called the cave clans pretty secretive but like so jay would actually then go overseas so the when i said i got that before he when he came down here to say goodbye one at that time i asked him would he sit down and talk about it because he'd be, he'd be quite a um shy and timid guy and he said yeah like I'll, I'll go into it but not only did he go into his melbourne and his sorry his, his brisbane and his australian exploring he went around the world a few times so he did the catacombs in in paris he's they broke into um I'm pretty sure Notre Dame. They went into like all these famous places he's been in and through, and all these vaults, all these amazing, incredible places all across the world. Because he knows these, he knows these people. Like he's the kind of guy who went to Chernobyl. He's been that's he, that's what he was into, and like these are all people that would be connected via a an, an internet web of of friends. Hmm. Yeah. All right, PJ, top dude. Just 
like she did I'd be dead in my grave today Oh, it's peaches, honey Yeah, it's right, rock and right Now let me tell you about my dream I totally see how you, um, that little figure that you were doing there. I could totally see how you would put that in a loop and just go and go and go and go. It's brilliant. That loop, I think it's called like Kentucky Lick. And yeah, it just it puts me in a trance. Like I need to, mm-hmm. like every time that verse comes around, I need to, oh, uh, because you just, they're just like a vortex. It's brilliant. brilliant. But it makes you forget lyrics. <laughs> You're in such a trance. Yeah. Uh, Shit, that's me. <laughs> There's nobody else coming in there. It's me. But that's that's my memory of Nariel Creek Festival as well, or one of those memories is just three o'clock in the morning, going from camp to camp, and then hearing the banjo like that, and just going over and being drawn to it, and everybody's just sitting, maybe fourteen, sixteen, eighteen people all playing the same lick, yeah, for, and you're just sitting there for like an hour, maybe, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. I bet that would have. That, I bet that would have been the same people that I camp beside at Blackwood. It's like Liam. I forget their names. Like Craig Woodford and all those guys. Just brilliant. Thanks, man. Dominic, do you feel like chatting about about the kind of things that you might have learnt through mm-hmm. the whole process, or things that you weren't maybe things that you weren't expecting to learn that you've learnt from from the episode so far? Yeah, I, I think, um, and I'm speaking just for me, like I. I I'm not sure what expectations I had about uh, about learning, but I definitely, with each episode, I feel like I realize that I know less. <laughs> if you know what I mean, I, I'm more aware of how little I know. I guess with each episode, in 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 a lot of ways, and I I realized actually that my my knowledge of Irish music kind of froze when I was about sixteen. You know, that was kind of like Stockton's Wing was still around and, you know, Moving Hearts was still a band and stuff like that. Like, 
that kind of stuff sort of froze there for me so, mostly, and so I didn't it, really listen to much after that. Or was that because it, you because you moved away to uni? You went to I think Scotland. I moved to uni and and I stopped. Yeah, and yeah. I and I I listened to the, the stuff I would listen to. I would go back and listen to things over and over again. I mean, I do have the ability to uh, listen to the same thing endless numbers of times and feel like I'm experiencing it for the first time. But I also get that when I'm walking down the same street over and over and over again. I feel sometimes very conscious of the fact that it just seems minutely different each time. You know what I mean? Mm. So, so, so did you stop playing for a while then? I did stop playing, yeah. Like, so I went to uni and I played a wee bit at uni, but I never did anything seriously with it. And then after uni, I did actually play in a couple of bands for a while. And we, you know, gigged around Scotland with a few folks. And, um, and I was... Um, yeah, so I was doing that, but then I then it just sort of petered away, and I and I so stopped. You went to uni in Stirling. In Stirling, in Scotland, yeah. And yeah. while you were there, were you playing anything? Okay. No, not really. I, I played. At the, they had a folk night there, and um, yeah. so I played a wee bit of whistle and stuff. But I would play the same tunes over and over again with a fellow that I that I met there, Colin Colin Whitelaw, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, but but I never was going to. I was never seeking it out in any kind of serious way. Like if I had been, I would have been going to Glasgow. I would have been going to Edinburgh and going to Sandy Bells or going to the Scotia Bar in Glasgow. I was just never. I was never really. I never really had the wherewithal or the energy to do that. I don't know. But if you were passing through Glasgow or passing through Edinburgh, would you drop into places like that? Uh, to hear the music? odd time, the odd time, yeah. But I, but I yeah. really did not seek it out that no. much. Yeah. You know? In, in any in any meaningful way and then know? then once you left scotland you went to america? i left scotland i went to america and and while, while you were there did you no, start to seek it out no, no i actually in america i just started i started playing singing a lot more and um why do you think you did that because oh, i love singing and um, but why, do, why do you think the time was right then to start singing because i was i was really i i think there was this sort of period where i i was very um I just got frustrated with being places where there'd be a guitar and I'd know half a song. And I, I just, sometime around the age of 33 or 34, I was like, all right, I gotta, this is fucking driving me mental. Like knowing two verses of a song is no good, right? And I want to be able to get through to the end. So I just started singing, even though I felt like terribly self-conscious and know that I, like, you know, there's no voice there to speak of, but you just, you have to do it, right? And then once I started doing it, um, like, um, I don't think my singing has progressed any since day one, but I do feel totally connected into it when I'm doing it. I mean, I love it. But that really took balls to do that, to get out and expose yourself. Oh, like I was that, just, that I was just people. wanted to be able to sing. I mean, it's it's great. I mean, you know yourself, you're a singer, like... I mean, what happens when you're singing? You're like, like a new darn. Just when you were doing that there, like I was watching you, I was like, I wish I had a camera because, yeah. you know, the eyes are closed. You're yeah. kind of gone. And it's just, I totally love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, so in America then, I, um, it wasn't gigging or anything, but, we, you know, we had some friends who would come around and um, we had a we had a rule. I, I set the rule. I decided I was going to be in charge. And I was like, anybody who comes has to have a song, right? So if you're coming, you have to have a song. And so five of us started hanging out together and it was mainly drinking, but, but, you know, we made a point of, of singing songs mm-hmm. all the way through and stuff. So it was great. 
It was like the best fun. And that was in Seattle. That was in Seattle, yeah. Um, but yeah. I never see, never saw any of the Irish stuff there either. And again, like there were there were little bits and pieces of it, but I, I think I went to maybe two or three sessions in the whole time I was there. I was there for about ten years, and I, I was never really drawn to the Irish diaspora thing. Not in the way that I've sort of <laughs> found myself being drawn to it here for some reason. Yeah. Um, Why do you think that is? You know, I I wanted to be. Um, there was something about my con- there was something about my conception of what that meant that I was uncomfortable with, and I realized that I, I may have been completely wrong in that. You know, it may have been complete misconception on my part, but I just had no desire to be around quote unquote Irish Americanism. Now. What is that really about? It probably, it probably goes back a bit to growing up in the north and having a certain image of that as being associated with certain kinds of uh, violent republicanism that I'm not comfortable with. So is that? There's probably some of the romanticizing of um, romanticizing of home when you're away from it, you know. Um, and there's maybe there was just part of it that made me uncomfortable. Maybe I just didn't want to face the fact that um, I was far away from home as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe did you, you feel like you wanted to prove something to yourself a little bit too? Probably. I don't want to put something on you. I know it's not it's a, an emotion that I definitely would have had, particularly as a young man. I can prove to you, the world, and to myself, I got this. I don't need to take the easy route. And I'm not saying that's what it is, but that's just, that's the narrative I was giving myself. I I I don't know, I don't know. I do know that like when I I remember very consciously at, at certain points, um, very early on of when I was in America, feeling like I had been freed from something to do with. I don't know if it was expectations. It was just maybe it's just you're you're in this massive country. Nobody gives a shit what you do. So did it feel a bit like a rebirth then when you were there? A wee bit. Aye, I think you so. Just, you just like just like I, I was aware that that there was a certain constraint that came from growing up in Northern Ireland and living in Scotland, brilliant as it was, and very very privileged and lucky as I was, that for me as a super sensitive child, um, there were there were things that were kind of difficult for me that somehow in America when I was there um, even though it wasn't necessarily all a happy time that that, uh, there was a certain freedom that came with just being in this big place Mm -hmm. you know like I say nobody cares Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know so I I did kind of love that I guess and and so maybe the Irish thing made me maybe would have made me uncomfortable or maybe I was just lazy I don't know you said that you you went to a lesson with Martin Hayes, is that right? Actually, you know, I went to see I went to see Martin Hayes playing. He was doing a Masters of the Irish Tradition tour. I think he had a piper with him and um, several other people. And Leo Leo McNamara from Scarif was in the was in the crowd. He's a flute player and a whistle player, and he lives in Seattle or lived in Seattle at the time. So he got up on stage and then I looked him up afterwards and I had lessons with him and he started me on this kind of conversations about like I went into his house 
to have the lesson and you know i'd booked a half hour lesson whistle lesson and i, I left like three and a half hours later <laughs> you know we were just kind of talking about stuff and i that and suddenly i was like i was sort of switched into this i was looking around there was album covers on the wall there was the uh, body band album covers and um stuff and i was just and then i was asking him all these questions and of course he knew all these people and he knew um matt malloy and he knew you know he, mm-hmm. he's, he'd been around that scene and he, he knows clee Clee yeah. Donnellan, who we were talking to a few weeks ago, she used to, she used to give him a lift to, right. to lessons or something. Talking about yeah. That. So anyway, that was brilliant, yeah. and and being able to talk to him and just um, uh, that kind of got me thinking about it again. And then I yeah. figured about it a bit, but you know, I never really applied myself, you know. Mm-hmm. And then also like I was having, you know, getting married and a couple of youngsters, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of other things start yeah. to take up your time. And then when you when you came to Australia, you moved to Barwon Heads. We yeah, we moved to Barwon Heads. Yeah, and very quickly met Darren. <laughs> Tell the story. Tell no. the story. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we've got. Tell a mutual, us about that. Yeah. Tell yeah. So, like, we do. Have, we have a mutual friend who said, "Oh, um, this fella is a good friend of my wife's," and and he said, "Oh, there's an Irish fella here, Dom. You know, he plays the banjo." And I immediately thought, I, I don't think I've it. I immediately thought, fucking hell, I hate Irish banjo. I hate Irish banjo. Oh no, because I've only got a memory of one Irish banjo player from way back in my past. That that he was a lovely guy, but I did not love the sound of his banjo playing. Anyway, enough said. So anyway, I end up meeting up with Darren, and um, I, regular listeners will be familiar with the, our sort of mutual neuroses about our. Uh, respective Irishness or not <laughs> as the case may be like um, I felt like I didn't really qualify because I came from the north not like him and of course he felt like he comes from the pale and he's um, got that accent uh, so anyway that so the, um, we started talking a lot about the kinds of things that we talked about here and we talked a lot about um, maybe we'll share with you sometimes the the tape of us talking about our experiences of um, being at school in Ireland and I love the name of that file um, <laughs> on the beating of it children. A, it was a golden age for the beating of children when we were growing up, right? It was like you know, so we had, we had a good chat about that, and we chatted about a lot of other stuff, and then you know, inevitably music comes up, and so we started coming around to this idea of doing this. Mm-hmm. And but it was just obviously there was a time and a place for everything, but you weren't when you were back in America. They just, it wasn't in the ether in the same way in no, terms of thinking about. I had one night out, music. one night out in America with a bunch of Irish folks, American Irish folks. That was when Colin McCann was visiting, um, and I was working at the radio station. And I think I somehow I hooked up with him and his brother, and we went to the Irish pub with a lot of folk, a lot of the folks. writer, Colin yeah, McCann, yeah, 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 and um, uh, that was a fun night. <laughs> Uh, but that was the only time that I ever really, you know, and, you know, obviously it's my loss. They're lovely people. I'm not mm-hmm. making any sort of judgment about anything. I'm just kind of explaining yeah, my own, yeah, yeah. trying to understand my own sort of decision making about like going to a session, not going to a session, yeah. being bothered about doing it or not. I don't know. So we're clawing it back too and not just saying, sorry, trying to, you know, make not amends, but, you know, addressing the that time that like both of us are doing that. Yeah, yeah. Like we we acknowledge there's a time away from it or not even with it, and like neither of us, I think, 
pretend like we are deep in not always deep in it like we're we're we're, we're babies in yeah. this I know it's it's probably difficult to go back and imagine what you were thinking or feeling back at the point when the two of you were talking about like the the idea of this thing can you is it possible for you to think of how the reality of it is any different from what you were thinking about at the start so at the start did you did you think it was going to be like this that you were going to have all these episodes behind you it's a lot more work both of us would agree on that yeah it's also it's a stress it's stressful on it's stressful on the friendship mm-hmm. and and what what way well you're working together on a on something that doesn't make any money yeah. like that's yeah. being blunt is as crap right mm-hmm. i'm i'm quite probably hard to work with too because i'm really like i'm i'm like done like it needs every week consider like we need to be doing this and it's it's tough on you're trying to be mates as well and it doesn't leave a lot of time to be mates but the time you do everything else in your life think about your own mates the time that you get to hang out and just chill i mean just just get in flow with your mate and just flow we don't we've kind of we still do it from time to time but it's bloody so so this, it's, it's this like, it doesn't feel like 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 that part of the friendship is just a different do you know what it's like level you know when you go, you know when you go out to dinner with your wife and you haven't been there for ages, and you go, "We're not talking about the kids tonight." And then five minutes later, you're talking about the kids. It's that, it's, it's that. Totally. But it's... we love it, and the only thing, the only reason why we're saying let's not talk about the kids is because we're hoping someone's eavesdropping. Because <laughs> we do like we just talk about. No, it's yeah, t- that's t- that's a that's a brilliant description of it, and and I think part of the part of the so like I I knew kind of I knew when we started uh, it, I knew kind of what a punishing schedule it would be because it and it is punishing it's like you know and we we're both so lucky to have very understanding families who've you know have raised eyebrows from time to time about like um, <laughs> the amount of time that we spend doing it because it's not just the recording and it's the course. it's the research and then the editing and the mixing and all that stuff yeah. but um, uh, I think I'm aware of the strain that I put in the friendship because I've got a different way of working than Darren, and I'm like a kind of, I'm, I'm like, oh, we're about to crash into the wall. I'll do it now. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I better, I better, I better fix something before before Pure joy. You know, so and um, so Darren, Darren, Darren doesn't love that. So so there's a kind of you know that that's one of the the things that's um, that's tricky about it, I guess. But it's a but productive it's tension same, between the two of you. To the same point, I don't think I've had, like, I would akin our friendship to my formative friendship, like the, the core friends of my life when I when I became who I am. Didn't really have, outside of my, my wife, there wasn't another one, I think, until you. I don't think I would have had that maturity. Like, us being able to deal with that stuff is... It's that's huge. Like that's a real testament to it's, our friendship too, because it gets sticky sometimes. But we get it, we always get through it. It's mm-hmm. it's massive. It's been a that's a massive personal step forward for me to be able to do that and not be like darn fucking wanker. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> no, seriously. That's yeah. it's a huge. That's a huge deal. Like I was abs- absolutely, um, and 
uh and then so then there's this other thing as well which is just like week in week out we are people are sharing these moments of their lives with us which is just so beautiful i think to be able to experience right so when you're doing it face to face like we're talking now i mean that's 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 one type of it and it's brilliant because we're we're here and we're connecting like this there's times when we're doing it remotely and you're sitting with your headphones on and it's a different experience but you you just you're just absorbed in it and um i was thinking about it the other night i was thinking that there are moments in every single interview when we're chatting to people where i, I can just feel like the like the this the thing they're describing just comes forms a little picture in my head you know of wherever it is you know like their house or where they went for um music classes or you know sleeping in a camper van or you know just the the stuff that people tell us about you know it's just it's so beautiful and rich and and evocative and it just um yeah it's a, it's an amazing, amazing i think it's experience you know, it's just I, I I've started to think about it because we used to talk about it. We used to think about it this way: you got the world, and we used to call each interview like a, a ripple, right? So there's people have made these differences in the communities, and these are the people we don't want to speak to, and they have rippled out and affected all these people. So some of them might be a touring musician, another one might be a someone who has been in a session for thirty years and he leads it. And that was the way I, I've been thinking of it. But I think listen to what you're saying and the kind of thoughts I've been having recently it's like there's a jigsaw puzzle and these little stories give you that one little piece and you don't you can't you can't just scan and find it and put it in you just have to wait for that moment to present itself to you and for me I have those kind of aha moments I was looking at it the whole time but I need to hear it framed in your life story for it to make sense in my in my greater picture of what this music is what this community is and then that piece goes in and you step back and you realize that this, this jigsaw is the size of an ocean. You know, it's going to be pretty, pretty nice when it's finished. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's the thing that you never get to the end of it either. No matter what you, no, no matter what experiences you have or who you're talking to or what their lives might be and how they were formed or fully formed as a musician compared to somebody else who's still learning. But even the people who are fully formed are still learning. Mm. You know, like so. Um, I want to ask you how how would you have this end this conversation no you know I I was thinking just as you were talking I was thinking if this (laughs) this stopped tomorrow right at least we have 76 moments of a musician at a point in their lives right and the sort of time travel thing for me is a big deal. Like the idea that one of these interviews that we did um, in Port Arlington or whatever with yourself and Eileen and Mary McNamara, that that, that that interview, somebody could hopefully stumble across it in 35 years time or 40 years time or 50 years time when I'm dead and they hear it and that there's this, there's this thing there, this like a tunnel that you can go down to that place in that moment and hear that music and hear them talking and hear their accents and hear the traffic going by outside the door and mm-hmm. you know um, yeah. it's just that to me is inexpressibly beautiful like to to be to be able to do that and so yeah that's I love the thought too that when it's not just 
us doing it anymore either. Like the last few, last few weeks, but definitely no, probably months. It feels like it's you and I, and and at least at least like a hundred other people are like in the zone, like are in the zone. I'm sure there's more. Like there's many. Like it has much more downloads each week but i feel there are people that are i don't want to use the word pilgrimage because it was never like the name of the podcast was never really leading to a pilgrimage. it was never meant to be literally that it was yeah. really just um i always liked and i always liked just those words together yeah. that was it really so we just but now it does because like, i think there's a rapport people write to us all the time there's kind of like follow-ups like there's i don't think we've missed an episode where someone hasn't written to us and it's like this is the tune or hey you mentioned this here's a little slide side slice of information here's the like so you can feel that it's not just at the start it was just you and i in this in, in the ocean on our own and, and now it's just we're moving together with it and more and more people keep joining us but that must be awesome to get that feedback Incredible. from people it is it absolutely is because we do like we did it and we're doing it for us yeah. and the things that i set out to achieve from a personal from like a from a personal perspective I always had the inkling that there would be people in this in a similar boat to me, which would get would get what I get from it because I listened to this podcast called Get Up in the Cool, which is kind of similar to what we've done. But it's a guy called Cameron Dewitt, Dewitt. and he talks to people in the old time community, and that I knew from listening to that that music is half of it, and it's the people and the culture that, that is around it that really tells so much more of the story so you have to kind of it's a swing you swing through the, the lives of people and then you come back through the tune and then you're going back and forth and you just you, as i said like i kind of feel like it is that collecting the pieces of this jigsaw puzzle because you're getting yeah i i like i mean this isn't i'm not i'm not fishing here but like why do you listen to it well at the at the start because it was you guys starting the series off and i just wanted to um engage with it and i guess support it and see what was happening but then within, within like two or three episodes it was like uh you're getting this insight into a person's experience with with music and and it had it had often been something that i'd been having conversations with anyway with other musicians in the paul Berta festival particularly here in australia it's like how did you guys start playing irish music it was something i was interested in was people's experience of it and why somebody from Melbourne or Sydney uh, who has no connection to Ireland whatsoever, why they would want to start playing Irish traditional music. It just intrigued me. Uh, mm. So there was that. And then because initially we started off with he he hearing the episodes of, of people f based in Victoria as well. And I often knew these guys or sort of knew of them and just interested about their lives and their experiences. So that was how it started. Um, and then, of course, once once it started to go further, whenever because of COVID and things had to change with the interviewing process, and then we're going overseas. And I know you'd already started the overseas interviews before then, the interviews back in Ireland. And, um, it's just fascinating. It's it's really fascinating to hear people's experiences of their lives and to hear them playing their their instrument as well. Often just really stripped back. Yeah, there's something really intimate about that. Just somebody picking up the fiddle playing for you um you know or picking up the whistle and and it's a tune that they're playing because it's what they first learned 30 years ago and it still means something to them and they want to play it for you like it's pretty awesome really yeah um it's yeah. interesting what you said about you having these chats with people in the pub 
it's such a thing, such an easy thing to overlook that, you know, we live where we live. So we're not surrounded by, by the music or people that play the music. So those chats are so important in, in, in your peripheral learnings. So if you're if you're living in if you're in Ennis and every other week you're in a pub and there's chat constantly around, there's a good chance you're getting a lot of this stuff happening. And I think what we've done in a way too is we've given ourselves and any listener a chance to have seventy five good conversations in the pub, like good insights. So you know, there's so many people like us who haven't got the the opportunity to go and and sit in Devitts and have you know a great great session and just jump into a conversation like that's not an option for people like us and for so many people that's why we have so many listeners in america too i think it's that same thing they we, we want to be so close to the music we want to be closer we want to be talking to people all the time but we can't because of where we live so yeah and there's there's, there's an interesting thing that i've experienced with the music both playing sessions and i've heard other musicians say to me and it might be slightly off topic but it's it's in belfast growing up with the sessions there and a couple of musicians actually said this to me that the sessions in Tom Kelly's, for example, which used to be in the Strand, in the Short Strand, and then moved to the Liverpool Bar, there'd be this, there'd be the tunes, and then they'd you know you'd stop the set of tunes, and you would just chat, chat to the people beside you. You'd have a drink with them, you'd talk about all sorts of stuff, whatever was happening through the week. People you didn't even know, you just chat them where you're from, whatever. And then. When things started to change with the sessions in Belfast, where they became inverted commas like paid gigs, where two or three of the of the group would be paid to play, and a couple of musicians have told me that you know you they'd be turning around to chat and they get a tap on the shoulder. It's like got to get back on with the music. No, no time for the chat. You're getting paid to play here, and they you know and they really resented that in a couple of bars. Uh, I'm sure that happens in lots of other places where there's the tourist gigs, you know, mm-hmm. where people are just like, that's part of it is playing your set of tunes. Fair enough. But then you have the crack with the person around you, um, person across the table from you, have a bit of a chat with them. So the great thing about these episodes, like I, I've always been a kind of person who prefers the one to one anyway with somebody and the chat, you know, so in a bar, you know, I really love that when you're talking to somebody, it's just you and them and you can really get into that zone. Um, but then something will interrupt you maybe after five or ten minutes somebody else will come over so then it'll be the next festival or the next month that you catch up or maybe six months or a year and you go yeah remember we were chatting what about the whereas an episode here you've got them for an hour or for two <laughs> yeah. it's great so you get like what you'll like you're saying it's like what you'll normally get over you know I don't know five years worth of bumping into people in a session or a festival and having a chat with them or in their house like you know you can't really corner them you know, and, and tell me about X, Y, and Z. Whereas it's great, it's a lovely, it's a lovely time, you know, and, it's, and you're capturing it. And um, well, that's great. I, I hope this hasn't seemed like it's a terrible indulgence on our part, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm chafed. You know, but there you go. I mean, there, there's. Oh, there, you're going to play us out? Um, no. I think Jerry might play us out, though. Would you play us a gin, Jerry? Um, yeah, sure. Before you, before you do. Um, I know we've said this and we say this every week but thank you everybody who's listening everybody who's a patron everybody who's not thank you for listening thanks for getting us this far and we'll keep going as long as we can so yeah. well, if you're a new That's listener it. and you've made it this far through this episode you're going to love it. 
we're not in it half as much. Yeah, really. No kidding. Yeah. Guys, there was a little bit of an internal wobble there when I was listening to you talk about, like, obviously it's such a huge deal for the two of you. And to keep it going is going to be a huge commitment to keep it going for as long as you're able to. Um, but it was just when you're talking about that, I'm just thinking, shit, you know, when you're talking about it stopping, it's like, God, you know, it's it's just wonderful that you're able to keep doing it. But, so, but you got it. You, you have to. You have to live your lives. You have to live within your families and everything else. And you have to. It has to be sustainable in some way for you. Um, but it's just. It's such a precious thing. Like it's just fantastic that you're doing it. I'm gonna do my Patreon plug that I would normally do at the end anyway because that comes off the end of it. Like if you're here, if you're still here at the end of this chat, we'll. God, you, you know how passionate we are we've talked about like the, the the strain on friendships on our families like this like you've no idea how hard it is to do it like it's 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 another job on top of our our jobs the the only reason at the minute that we're able to keep going is that it's it's paying for itself and there's a, and then there's a couple of pennies in the bank to maybe reinvest like some new microphones that kind of thing which is like that's a dream but if, to really continue we need we're like we, we at some stage we'll need it to be enough that we can kind of actually give back to our families which is kind of hard to it's hard to say to our listeners because you know we the, the the philosophy has been this the same from the start we know it's going to be a very small percentage of people that chip in and that's fine we want it to be as enriching and, and free for anyone who wants to be able to listen to it and that's the that's the reason for it so if you're uh, one of the thousand, two thousand listeners that are listening this week, a if you can become a patron, that is the best thing you can do to 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 show your support and keep this thing going. B is you know what we really need is more listeners. So if you can share it, like us, leave a review, all that kind of stuff. Search for Irish podcast, Bellani Pilgrims, you know wrote the system so google starts recommending this to more people you know because then it will still be the same percentage of people paying for everyone else but myself and don might be able to live a little bit of a easier life yeah <laughs> patreon.com forward slash blarney pilgrims is a place to go if you go want to there please patron. go there go there please and uh, jerry thank you for oh, coming thanks in for tonight, asking me man. along i really really enjoyed that really enjoyed chatting with you nice, guys man. it's been brilliant would you place a tune to finish with Surely, I'd love Thank to. You. Yeah. Oh
Jerry, thank you. Oh, thanks very much, Tommy. So, like, that song is so redolent of where I come from, and you know that part of the country, right? And, you know, the stuff we were talking about earlier on about when I was playing in the pub and stuff, that was that was the song that you always get asked for. It was Sound South or from Rattle Island, you know? Do you yeah. do it? Not really, no. Not heard you play it. No, I, it was, we sort of shied away from it. It was kind of... Um, it was almost felt too hackneyed for us, like we were kind of young too people. Too local and, um, I don't know, plus, you know, we were stupid. I mean, the thing was, we we didn't do that, but we did do, like, all the other stuff, like Greenfields of France and all those other sort of Nancy Spain, and, you know, those standard pub fair songs, but for some reason we never actually played that one. And it's brilliant. It's a great, oh, song. It's a great song. It's so evocative of the sea and the fishing and the men going out in the boats, so. 
Yeah, and it was written by written by Brian Connors. Yeah, who uh, was uh, a father of a good friend of mine back in Belfast, Chris Connors. Um, and Brian's written some absolutely beautiful songs. Did he write? He wrote Fisherman's Day as yeah, well. Okay. Yeah, that your rendition of Fisherman's Day from episode one. I go back to all the time. I adore that version. That is one of my favorite things. Thank you. Well, that's that's uh, down to Brian and his song songwriting is just amazing. Mm-hmm. The l- lyrics that he has and that and the melody. Um, what well, I mean, what must that amazing, be like incredible. to have written a song that um, that becomes a standard, right? That's yeah. just that's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah. And Rathlin Island became such a big hit that like so many people were playing it and singing it and John Watt yeah. the singing farmer <laughs> and many other stars of the area yeah so, yeah, yeah totally yeah. and now that's that's why it's uh, I know you've talked I think I heard you talk in other episodes about this about reclaiming some of those songs it's just great you know that's what we need to do is take some of those songs back yeah totally you know, the songs that have become hackneyed and just let people hear them again yeah. um, hear how great they are and the structure of them because when you you know when you actually think about the lyrics even that Brian wrote to match the melody um, and lithe and lashing in the verse it's marvellous yeah gamuts there's a good, there's a good series it's, um, Ian from Lancome Far Draw Near is his uh, podcast but he's doing one which is just on um, the Wall Rover Lancome did the Wall Rover on their latest album like it's by far my favourite version of that tune it is incredible but he's gone deep into reclaiming exactly that he's taken the one which is probably the most famous of Irish pub songs while mm-hmm. over and then going well why where's where the history of it and what they've done with it they've completely reclaimed it but I love that he's going that far into the reclaiming of it yeah and it's like the the song The Galway Shawl which I, I always loved the melody of that as well and Shami O'Dowd sang it um, and sings it and Derry Farrell sings it as well and they've kind of their own spin on it as well which is great it's great that these songs can be brought out again and introduced to people who might never have heard them before who did the best version of Danny Boy Uh, I don't know Um, Elvis anyway on that note Jerry thank you so much thanks thanks for asking me I loved every second of it it was great boys thank you and uh, yeah that's us we'll see you next week bye bye Hi, my name is Jekso. Please become a good subscriber to the podcast. Thank you.